Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, welcome to this week's Baldhead Bible Podcast. And I'd just like to encourage you, if you enjoy this podcast, to please consider supporting us. Go to our Patreon page at patreon.com forward slash baldheadbible, and there you'll see different levels that you can support us at. It isn't much. I'm not trying to get rich off of this or anything like that, but you can support us for the mighty amount of $1 a month. $1 a month, which comes to $12 a year. And what do you get for that? Well, you get access to the Baldhead Bible Podcast after show, Waxing the Dome. It's a 10-minute show where I'll be talking about various things, and I'll probably be, number one, talking about extra content that I wasn't able to get at about the character for this week, and I'll throw in some things that I just ran out of time to talk about and wasn't able to fit in the show, or or number two, I'll be interviewing some really cool people, some theological friends I have or pastoral friends I have who can give us some insight on the book or the character we're going through that week. Or finally, I'll just interview some really cool people that are just fun to meet. Or maybe I'll just chat about stuff. But it's just for supporters of the podcast. It's going to be a 10-minute show. So for a dollar a month, you get access to this 10-minute after-show podcast, which will be a lot of fun. But you want to go higher, you can support us for $3 a month, and there you get the after show waxing the dome, as well as a sticker. We've created some Bald Head Bible merch, if you'd like to look at it that way, and I will mail you a sticker if you join for $3 per month. And our highest level is $5 a month, and there you get the Bald Head Bible. Bible podcast after show waxing the dome plus secondly you get a sticker plus thirdly you get the ability to download a pdf and it'll be a series of questions that you can use to think through the story in the podcast you could use these questions as a way to have devotions with your family or use it with your bible study group and i'll try to throw in if i can a little crossword puzzle that maybe your kid and you can fill in as you listen to the podcast so You get that if you join at $5 per month. So think about supporting the podcast. You can support us, again, easily for $1 a month. It's called the Buzz Cut. Or you can join us at $3 a month, which is called Shaved. You're getting closer to the bald goodness. And then the highest level, $5 a month. And that's called True Baldy. 
You have reached true bald head Bible perfection. So I'd encourage you to think about it. Um, it costs me some money to put this podcast on. But of course, you don't have to join at all. And you can just listen to the main podcast, which will always be free. And I want to get the message of the Bible and the excitement of Scripture out there. So do not worry. That will always be free. But if you'd like to think about supporting us, go once again to patreon.com forward slash baldheadbible or just go to patreon.com and search baldheadbible. And I hope you enjoy this week's episode. Welcome to Baldhead Bible Podcast, making the Bible come to life, featuring the exposit story preaching of Dr. John Katzian. Samuel sensed it. Now was the time. Now was the time he, he could tell that the people of Israel, I think, are coming back to the worship of Yahweh. I, I, I think what they've been through with the Philistines oppressing them and all these years of the judges and all these years of not following God, not following Yahweh, but instead pursuing Baal and Ashtaroth and all these other Canaanite religions. Samuel is sensing, I think the people are beginning to turn back to Yahweh. Maybe it was the questions they asked. Maybe it was the attitudes they had, but... Samuel sensed now could be the time for real change. You know, I think it's an interesting question. What does it take for revival to occur in a whole country, in a whole land? What does it take? I don't know if we can answer that question correctly or even answer it at all today, but but I think we can see some glimpses into what it might take for a whole country to return to God. Well, here in this story, Samuel's much older. And he's the judge of Israel. And he'll be the last judge of Israel. And as the judge of Israel, he goes on a circuit riding through these towns. It's the, 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 these towns for him to get through them all were about 50 miles in circumference. And so he would start in Bethel, go to Gilgal, then go to Mizpah, and then end at his hometown in Ramah. And I bet it was great to finally get back home. And he would probably spend months in each city and then move on to the next. And as he worked in those cities, he would meet various Israelites and he would judge their cases. He would listen to their problems. He would hear their complaints. And I think when he's sitting there listening to them, he sensed there's something different. There is something in the air The people seem to be coming back to Yahweh. And so in 1 Samuel chapter 7, we see Samuel grab the opportunity. And he stands before Israel, or maybe he sends out a message so, you know, all of the heads of the tribes of Israel understand. And he challenges 
That's basically the word that he uses. He, he challenges Israel to stop worshiping Baal, stop worshiping Ashtaroth, put away all the other foreign gods. And Israel, let's be loyal to Yahweh once again. We will be loyal to only one true God, the true almighty God of heaven and earth, the King of kings, the Lord of lords. Let's be loyal to one God. Are we going to do this, Israel? Should we do this? And again, I'm not certain if he gathered them all together. Or, or, or maybe he sent out messages to each head of the tribes and then they passed it on to their people. Either way, the message got out. Samuel's challenging us to, to put away these foreign gods and to only worship Yahweh. And it says in chapter 7, verse 4, that in response to this challenge, you know what the people did? They put away the Baals. They put away the Ashtaroths. Now, Baal was the chief deity of the Canaanite religion in that area. And it was often represented by a bull. And it was the god of fertility. And if you wanted things to grow or if you wanted things to rain on your crop, you would worship Baal. It was also, you know, every time lightning went across the sky, people would think, there's Baal. Ashtaroth was his female consort. It was often represented by a pole, and when Baal and Ashtaroth once a year would get together, they would produce the crops and the fertility that would just seed the land. And, and thank you, Baal, thank you, Ashtaroth, and people would bow down. And these religions pulled at the Israelites over the years and pulled their hearts away from the one true worship of Yahweh. Why? Lots of reasons, but one of the reasons is worshiping Baal and Ashtaroth was a lot more fun. It involved a lot of bad stuff, a lot of perverted things sexually, but hey, it appealed to the flesh. Let's do this because it's way more fun than going to the temple or it's Way more fun than going to the synagogue and, you know, worshiping the one true God. But man, there they've got idols. Because remember, Yahweh said, I don't want you to make an idol. You worship me in spirit and in truth. And man, if I worship Baal and Ashtaroth, it's way more fun. And I see things in a way visually more appealing. And all various reasons the people of Israel got pulled away. And remember in the book of the Judges, God would send in oppressors and would life would become so bad and then they'd finally call out to God for help. And God would raise up a judge like Gideon, do you remember? Or, or Barak and Deborah or Samson and he would release the people from the bondage of the oppressor and then they'd be free and they would thank Yahweh but then the pull of those old religions would come back. Well, here, it seems like Samuel sensed this time it's different. These people are ready to come back. And they're going to stay. Because at this time, they were being oppressed. They were being oppressed by the Philistines. 
And remember, the Philistines had defeated them in battle and then took the Ark of the Covenant. Well, eventually, right, God, Yahweh, defeated Dagon, their wimpy God, and eventually the Ark ended up in Kiriath-Jerim back in Israel. Even though it had been captured by them, God demonstrated his power totally destroyed their god and gave them tumors and they were overrun with mice and they said we gotta get this out of here and eventually it ends up in this small city called Kiriath Jerim. it's back in israel yes but for 20 years it sat there in Kiriath Jerim, and it had a priest that would you know take sacrifices there and would take care of the ark but it wasn't what it should be at the temple in the holy of holies and it sat there for 20 years and it says as it sat there that the house of israel lamented and it's the sense word lament is a Big word. We have a book in the Bible called Lamentations, which is full of laments. And lament is this big word that basically means grieved. The people grieve. It says they lamented, but they lamented after the Lord. You know, when you're caught in a sin or when you do something wrong and you get punished for it, you grieve. You're like, oh, I can't believe this is sad. I don't like this. But Quite often we grieve because we got the speeding ticket or we grieve because we got in trouble and now we got to clean our room extra hard. You know, whatever it happens to be and you're sad you got caught. True lamentation, though, involves repentance. And notice it says they lamented after the Lord. They weren't just grieving that things were difficult. No, they were grieving, I think, because they finally understood we were headed in the wrong direction. And now we've got to turn around and go in the right direction. Because that's what repentance is. It's heading in one direction and then saying, nope, I've got to repent of this way. I've got to stop and I've got to head back in the right direction. And here the people realized I was following Baal. I was praying to him. I was going to the first church of Baal and putting all my tithe money there. And I've got to stop. And I think the oppression of the Philistines got so bad they were tired of it. You know, it seems like they oppressed him for 20 years. But I also think losing the Ark of the Covenant, their national symbol, not being where it should be, I think it brought many of the Israelites to a better understanding of how far they were from God. And so when it says they lamented after the Lord, I think they repented. And as a nation, they decided we have to change. And Samuel, in his yearly circuit through these towns, he's picking up on this mood. He's picking up on what... He's feeling in the country, and then finally he challenges them. Throw away your idols. Now, I don't know if the tribe of Benjamin got all the idols in their tribe together and burnt them in the town square, or if the tribe of Judah, which was a bigger one, I don't know if they got in little towns and 
burnt them all or threw them away. You know, whatever it is, they decided to get rid of these idols and to put their loyalty finally in Yahweh. And this is exciting news. And, and, and to show that they even more were repentant, you know, they, they all show up at this town called Mizpah. Now, Mizpah is this important town where, where important things have happened before. It, it seems to be this place where Israel likes to gather, to basically come together as a nation, and to say, hey, you know what? We're going to change. We're going to be different. So Samuel asks the people of Israel to come to Mizpah to basically ratify their change of heart, to show to the Lord that, yes, we want to follow you. Mizpah, this town where where. Israel gathered, if you remember, in the book of Judges to decide what they're going to do about the tribe of Benjamin and their perversion with the Levite concubine. You know, later on, Saul is presented as the first king of Israel at Mizpah. Whatever it is, this this hill of Mizpah, this area called Mizpah was an important place maybe centrally located there, where all of Israel would come together to say, we are in solidarity going to do something. And so Samuel asked them to come. And he gathers them all at Mizpah. And as he says, if you come, I'm going to pray to Yahweh for you. And I want you on this day, I want you to fast. And I want you to say that we have sinned against Yahweh. Please fast and in your heart, in your prayers, verbally out loud, I need you to say we have sinned against Yahweh. And so the people show up. And when a fast occurs, that means you don't eat. You don't eat anything. Well, not only did they fast, it says they poured out water before the Lord. They drew water into bowls and poured it out. I basically say, you know what, we're not going to eat, and we could be drinking, because you can usually drink water or something like that during a fast, but he says, instead of that, we're going to pour out this water before you, Lord. That's how determined we are to accomplish something. That's basically what a fast means. I'm committed, Lord. I'm committed to this thing. Thing. I want to fast and I want to pray. So I'm going to spend, instead of eating, I'm going to spend my time in prayer. Instead of eating breakfast, I'm going to spend my time in prayer. Instead of eating lunch, I'm going to spend my time in prayer. Well, here Samuel's asking them to fast, to show their commitment, and to pray, Lord, please forgive us, for we have sinned. And they poured out water. And it says that Samuel, he prays before God. And on that day, the people's heart recommits to say, we're going to be loyal to one God. And that's Yahweh. Woohoo! Good news! This is great! The people are back. Israel is back serving the one true God and 
You know, it's often the case whenever you make a spiritual decision or whenever you make a spiritual breakthrough, you know, you decide to start tithing again, or maybe you decide to quit this sinful habit, whatever it happens to be that when you make that decision, yes, it often is the case that right behind it comes a problem. Something bad happens. You decide not to, you decide to tithe and then you get the worst financial news of your life, you know? You decide to give up some bad sinful behavior, but man, the lust of the flesh seem to pull even harder. It seems like whenever you make these spiritual decisions, something bad happens. Well, here, the same thing happens. They make this decision to follow Yahweh and Him alone. But then here come the Philistines. When they hear that Israel has decided to follow Yahweh alone, <laughs> they think now is the time to attack. I think they think now is the time to attack, number one, because while they've humbled themselves, they're meek. They're not going to want to fight. They're wimpy and weak. They're crying. They're lamenting. And yeah, now's the time to attack. They're in disarray. They're, they're not even thinking about fighting. I also think the other reason the Philistines decided to attack was because they saw a payday leaving. If all these Israelites start following Yahweh, that means they're not going to be coming to their temples anymore. They're not going to be worshiping Dagon and Baal and all this. And they like the revenue that they made from the local population. So the Philistines showed up to fight. To basically wipe them out. And the people says they were afraid. Very, very fearful when they heard the Philistines were on the way. So the people, they come to Samuel and they say, what are we going to do, Samuel? And they say, please do not cease to cry out to Yahweh, our God, for us. Please, please don't, because the hand of the Philistines are just over there and, and they're going to come and kill us. You know, it's interesting. Again, I think it shows a change in heart. You know, earlier when they had the Ark of the Covenant, right, and they lost it, they sort of used the Ark of the Covenant as a, as a good luck charm. You know, yes, we lost in battle, but let's take the Ark of the Covenant. We'll go into battle and we'll win. Well, they ended up losing it. Why? Because they never talked to God about it. They never asked him. But here it shows they were learning from their mistakes. They're growing spiritually. They first thing they do when they're faced with this horrible hill, mountain, terrible obstacle called the Philistines in front of them, what do they do? They turn to God. And they say, please, God, help us. Samuel, pray to the Lord for us. So it says that Samuel, he gets a little lamb. A lamb, it says, that was still nursing. It's pretty young, you know. Basically, when a lamb is nursing, it means it's still feeding milk off of its mom. And he takes this lamb and he puts it on the altar. And then he slits its throat and lets the blood roll down. And then he lights it on fire. And whoosh, 
the flame goes up to God and he offers this young, innocent lamb as a burnt offering before the Lord. It's always so sad to me, you know? I mean, this lamb didn't do anything wrong. It was just a little baby of a lamb. It was innocent. But it also reminds me of what Christ did for us on the cross. Christ lived a perfect life. Jesus was the perfect man. Jesus was the Son of God, and he was innocent. He did nothing wrong. But he went to the cross and shed his blood to pay the price for my sin as an offering to appease the wrath of God. Now, Jesus defeated sin. He rose again, proving he was God, and that's a great story, right? But I think whenever you look at that, you should be so thankful that Jesus died for you. Well, here, Samuel offers this burnt offering before the Lord, and he prays to the Lord, and he says, Lord, please listen. We need your help. And it says that the Lord listened. The Lord heard his plea. And as Samuel is praying, and as Samuel is offering this burnt offering to the Lord, here come the Philistines. March, 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 march. And the men of Israel, the army of Israel, they're probably quaking in their boots. They're not ready to fight. But here come the Philistines right on top of them. And I think they think all is lost. But then, I mean, it must have been exciting to see. It says in 1 Samuel 7 that the men of Israel didn't have to fight at all. It says when the Philistines showed up, guess who fought for Israel? Yahweh. And you know how he fought? It says Yahweh thundered with a mighty sound that day. <sighs> Can you imagine? I can imagine. Here comes this army of men marching. And then all of a sudden, out of the sky, a lightning bolt strikes, kills ten of them. Another lightning bolt wipes out a hundred. I mean, there's lightning going everywhere. And then there's noise. Thunder. The ground rattles. And the, the men are in disarray. And again, I think it's interesting, right? Baal... Is the God of the sky. He's represented by a bull and lightning, and, and that's his area. But it looks like the God of Israel is fighting, and these thunderbolts can't be coming from Baal because we worship him and he, he's killing us. No, that means Yahweh's in control of the region where Baal's supposed to be in charge of. And that would have been astoundingly frightening to the Philistines to realize that how impotent and weak their God is, that Yahweh is up there doing what he wants, and he is wiping out the Philistines, and it is a great day. Because in the middle of all that lightning and all that thundering, the Philistines just run. And it says that the Philistines never, ever, showed up again into the territory of Israel. 
And it says the hand of the Lord was against the Philistines all the days of Samuel. They never came back. Remember, for the past 20 years, they were in Israel, probably reinforcing cities, building the Philistinian empire. And now, in an instant, they're wiped out. They're kicked out of Israel. Now, they were a constant thorn in the side of David later on. And they would have raids into Israel territory, but they never oppressed them again like they did. Now Samuel, I can imagine he's at the head and watching this all, and he's like, yes, this is awesome. I am so excited. He's probably waving goodbye to the Philistines as they're running away. And then he calls some of the Israelite men, some of the Israelite women. And he says, listen, we have got to remember this occasion. We have got to remember this day. We've got to set up an Ebenezer. I can imagine the Israelites look at each other. What's an Ebenezer? I don't know. I got a cousin named Ebenezer, but I is that is there some meaning to that name? I don't know. What does that mean? And Sam is like, listen. An Ebenezer literally means a stone of help. Or literally, God is our help. So an Ebenezer is a symbol that God helped you at a particular occasion, that God came to your rescue, that God took care of you. And so it says that Ebenezer set up, so it says that Samuel set up a large Ebenezer, a big stone between Mizpah and Shen. We're not exactly certain where Shen is, but basically near Mizpah, he sets up this big stone. And maybe on it, he wrote what happened. Maybe on it, he wrote his favorite verse from the Torah. I don't know. But from that day forward, when people would ride their carts or their horses along the path from one city to the next, they would look over and they would see this big stone. And maybe a father would say to his son, see that big stone? That is a symbol, a monument to, to this great, defeat where God just thundered and destroyed the Philistines. Let me tell you about it. Maybe a great, great grandson asked some grandfather, hey, what is this big stone here? And it allowed that father, that grandfather, that mother, that child to understand how God came through for Israel. And I wonder if it's important. No, I don't wonder. I know it would be good for us to set up Ebenezer's in our own life. Maybe as a family or as a father say, you know what? There was a time when we were running out of money and we didn't know how we were going to pay for this bill, but the Lord miraculously provided. And see that verse hanging over there on the wall? That verse, every time I look at that, reminds me of what God did. Maybe you have a photo album of when you were sick in the hospital and you thought you weren't going to make it. But look, I lived. And this photo album is an Ebenezer. It's, it's, a, it's a sign, a monument to how God has helped us. We need to remember the moments when God helps us. We need to remember the, the goodness of the Lord, especially when times get hard.
You wonder where God is. Well, then you can look over at your Ebenezer. You can look at that verse on the wall. You can look at that verse in the Bible. You can look at that photo album. You can think and reflect and say, I'm not going to get discouraged. I'm not going to get down. Because that Ebenezer reminds me that God is good. And I can remember Romans 8, 28. That should be an Ebenezer for all of us, right? All things work together for good to them that know him. Well, the Philistines are defeated. Chapter 7 basically says from that moment on, Samuel judged Israel all the days of his life. And he went on this circuit from Bethel to Gilgal to Mizpah. And then even ended Ramah. I think every time he went through Mizpah, he looked at that rock and he smiled. Israel is back. And that rock reminds me of how we're now following Yahweh. And that rock reminds me of the joy of watching the Philistines defeated by lightning and thunder. Wow. And I just pray and hope that we as a country come back to the Lord. Wouldn't it be great to see revival in this country, to see people say, I want to come back to the Lord. I want to start following him. But it's going to start with lament, a grieving, a sense of sorrow for our sins in the sense that we grieve the heart of God and that we have to change and then we grieve and then we repent. We turn around, we stop going in the direction we were going and we start going in the right way. And one of the first things you have to do to change and repent is to follow Jesus. To say, I want to put him as Lord of my life. I'm going to put my believing loyalty on him and no one else. I'm going to leave all these other gods, all these other things I could follow. God the Father says, if you want to come to me, you've got to follow my son, Jesus. For he is God. He is Lord. If you want to come to me, you come through my son. Follow Jesus. And then when you get saved, set up an Ebenezer. Remember the goodness of the Lord. Memorize a life verse. Put it on your Bible. Put it on a wall. Remember the goodness of the Lord. And I hope and pray that if you haven't gotten saved, you get saved today. And those who do know the Lord, let's start telling others about Him. Let's start remembering the goodness of the Lord. Let's set up some evidences. Thank you for listening to Baldhead Bible Podcast. If you have any questions or comments, we would love to hear from you. You can comment on our Facebook page or email us at baldheadbible at gmail.com. If you would like to support this podcast, please check out our Patreon page at www.patreon.com slash baldheadbible. Baldhead Bible Podcast, making the Bible come to life. New episodes added every week.